We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to Setting the Pace. Now, here's your host. Alex Golden and Michael J. Fauci. Hey, Sir Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today by the one and only Michael J. Fauci. Fauci, how'd you think your Wizards did last night in the draft? Couldn't tell you, but I could tell you for my Pacers, it was a long night. Alex, I don't know about you, but that first round took forever. <laughs> it was yeah, it, about it three did. hours, I think. No, it was it was a very long first round, and I felt like I felt like that draft show was not that interesting at all. Uh, no real debates between the guys talking up there on the you know the analyst, you know, mm-hmm. going over the draft, the picks, you know, trying to make sense of why you know Tyrese Halliburton's fallen. Like nobody talked about that, or there was nobody like, oh, here's my sleeper, or all right, why you know why would they take this player? How does this affect this person? Like. There was none of that. I mean, I like seeing the guys have the emotional stories and them talking to them about that. I think that's really cool. See how excited they are. But I was a little disappointed. I, I really like when on a draft night, you kind of argue or, you know, converse about the pick and, and go back and forth. But I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of that last night. There wasn't. And I understand to your point of, you know, liking a good story, but I think we need to stop a little bit with highlighting everyone's most tragic moments right away, because I feel like, it just really makes you kind of like you want to hear about the good in their life. I understand they're trying to say like, hey, th- this person has overcome so much. But sometimes it's really just such a downer where I feel like it's each prospect. They're highlighting like the worst moment in their life, I feel like. And, you know, maybe it's just the, the different feel of it's a virtual draft. So you're not getting any of the booze in the background or any of like the, the crazy excitement based on, on a pick. So I just feel like this draft 
compared to other ones, it was lacking. I think it's probably also because you know the draft took place about five months later than it usually does. No March Madness. It kind of had you feeling like, you know, it was kind of dragging along a bit. I think part of that also is the Pacers didn't pick until, you know, what was, I guess, roughly 12 o'clock, you know, 12 a.m. I mean, the 54th overall pick, it was getting late. Yeah. Well, with the 54th pick, the Indiana Pacers select shooting guard from Duke, Cassius Stanley, and Kyle Boone from CBS Sports said, I had a scout tell me earlier this year that they considered Stanley as a first-round talent because of his size, toughness, and willingness to compete his butt off on defense, no matter the assignment, and we had him ranked accordingly in our final top 100 at number 32. Indy getting him as one of the last picks of the draft is tremendous value. So, Fachi, this is a guy you brought up whenever we talked about some guys, so I'll let you take the floor because this is someone you had your eyes on. It really was, and I love how you know that ended up happening. Being the 54th pick, I mean, you knew it was going to be kind of slim picking. I felt like that was more one of my you know dream scenario type things. To get Cassius Stanley at 54 is an absolute steal. So I know the rankings you just talked about it being 32. So you could say probably you know consensus, probably anywhere from 32 to 45, whatever. No matter how you look at it, this mm-hmm. is a steal. This is the the term that's going to be strapped to this guy forever is going to be athletic. His athleticism is through the roof, a higher vertical than Zion. I mean, that's all people talked about last year. So a 46 inch vertical for Cassius Stanley, unbelievable. But I think he's more than that because we're talking about a guy who's a very capable three point shooter shot 36% last year as a freshman was not the featured option was pretty much about a third or fourth option over there at Duke to the point where I feel like he's someone who would have benefited big time from coming back an absolute steal for the Pacers six, six guard, you know, his wingspan is that's probably a knock on him. It's only about six, seven, but I feel like Cassie Stanley is someone who's going to work really hard. He's, he's a bit older than your typical freshman at age 21. So I do think that actually works to our advantage of maybe getting a guy who's a bit more mature, a bit more maybe ready to play, which I don't think he's really going to be playing much for the Pacers next year, but someone we can develop. And like we talked about with Bjorkren, that's what he does. It feels like player development is going to be coming. Like I, I feel much more confident this time around that the Pacers can develop a late round pick than in the past where it, it just hadn't worked out. So I'm pretty jacked up about the Stanley pick at 54. Yeah. I mean, you're saying it's an absolute steal. I wouldn't go that far, Fachi. I mean, it's a second round pick. And <laughs> if he was, you know, falling to 54, I mean, there's a reason why probably, but I will say this. I think that with Nate Bjorkren, this is a guy that coached in the G league. This is someone that believes in player development. This is a guy that believes in the G league and believes that players can go down there and benefit from it where I feel like the Pacers did not utilize the G league correctly for the last couple of years under Nate McMillan. So, you know, Cassius Stanley is at a position where the Pacers have a lot of depth. You've got a lot of guards and a lot of wings. Um, well, a lot of guards more than wings. So on this team, but I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about playing him at, at shooting guard or a small forward, he's got to play behind Jeremy Lamb, Doug McDermott, TJ Warren, Victor Oladipo, Edmund Sumner, Aaron Holiday. I mean, he's Malcolm Brogdon. Some, I mean, he's got a long way to go. So I think that this is a guy you put in the G league, let him develop, let him, you know, show his athleticism, let him develop a three point shot. That's really consistent. Let him continue to get better on defense because I think he does have a lot of intangibles 
uh, an incredibly hard worker, incredibly motivated to, to come out here and show what he's worth from everything that he's been saying, everything that we've been reading reports on. I mean, this guy has a lot of the tools that you want in a young prospect. And if you're able to get someone like this in the second round, it is exciting. But I would say uh, he probably won't be in the rotation this year. I mean, I wonder if there's injuries. Could he crack it? If they make any trades, could he crack it? Possibly. Um, they might give him a few minutes here just because Bjorkren's one of those guys that likes to get more players involved. So, I mean, I think there is optimism about Cassius Stanley. I really think that he's a fun player, and he's by far the most athletic pacer right now uh, that we have on this roster. So there's a lot of good things to like about him. But once again, at 54 overall, I would just say tamper expectations, Pacer fans. He's the only addition that we've had this offseason. So don't get too excited, but I think there are some things to look forward to with him. That's the thing, Alex. We can't help ourselves because we know it's not going to be an eventful offseason. So it's like with no first round pick, it's like just give us anyone. And the fact that you actually got someone, Cassius Stanley, a, a top 40 recruit last year. You know, he goes to Duke as their fourth highest recruit. I feel like he would have flourished on plenty other teams. I mean, it's it's Duke. It, it's tough to really get your footing over there if you're the fourth guy. I mean, it was shocking last year. They were able to have Zion and R.J. Barrett go in the, in the top three, but this was not the same type of situation at all. It was a stacked Duke roster over there of, of talented young guys that Stanley didn't really shine as much as I think he could have. I don't expect really anything out of him this year, but I talked about, you know, it must have been months ago. When was even the last time the Pacers even had an alley-oop on the court? It feels like forever. And we finally got someone that we know. It's like, hey, the one thing you can't teach, that's athleticism. You yeah. can't do it. And Cassius has it. So give the man some time. Don't expect anything out of him this year. But just know that, especially no summer league, the odds are stacked against him. But I just feel like, hey, at 54, how often do we just see a team trade out for then a future second-round picker? Maybe you draft a Euro that you stash for a while. You know, no, we got someone right over here who is talented, is very athletic, loves the game of basketball, which in a time where the number one pick might not even love the game of basketball, you got someone that does. So I'm excited about it. It's just going to be, you know, a down the line move. Yeah. And I'm excited to have on uh, it's, it's at Twitter. If you want to, if you want to follow him at Duke blogger, and his name is Brian Horace. So he covers uh, Duke basketball. And he was super excited about Cassius Stanley, was surprised that he fell so late to 54, which, I mean, I understand why he fell. Uh, that would be, like, kind of puzzling like because he was, like you said, mocked in the in the 40 to 45 range for most of the mock drafts. So that's, uh, that's something to keep an eye on there, Foch. But, yeah, I mean, we're going to have him on in our last segment to, to talk about Cassius Stanley because I think he's going to have a better idea – of what type of player he is watching him on the floor in college for the last season where we haven't really got a chance to, you know, go through and see anything from his game, except a few highlights on YouTube or on Twitter. But um, I think the news everybody was really looking forward to today was figuring out what um, Boston Celtics small forward Gordon Hayward is going to do with his contract. And he has decided to opt out of the $34.2 million contract and become an unrestricted free agent. And the reports from Mark Stein are saying that New York is a player. Boston very well could be a player. And Indiana has been in trade conversations with them. So, Fachi, it looks like Gordon Hayward 
is there's a possibility he could be in Indiana next year. We have a case of drama on our hands. Hayward pushing back his, his time to decide on the player option takes it down to physically the last minute of that 6 p.m. that 5 p.m. deadline today, and he opts out. It feels like very similar to the Al Horford situation where everyone thought Al Horford was crazy to opt out of that contract. But next thing you know, he he had a a hundred plus million dollar deal. I think it was like 112 million to go to Philly. I feel like in in today's day, Gordon Hayward, I believe has some insight. I don't think he blindly opted out of this, you know, with free agency expected to officially start tomorrow. Uh, and you can't even see the air quotes that I gave. I believe he's been in talks with some teams, and I I think clearly he's he's looking for you know a, about a four year deal. You imagine which would kind of uh, take care of him, and you hope the Pacers could still be in it. But at the same point, you know it depends for what a team like the Knicks. I mean, we've talked about it. Come on, they're they're, they're begging for someone to take their money, especially in a weak free agent class. So I think Atlanta could also be in there. Um, so Atlanta and the Knicks, that's some, that's some stiff competition, but Alex, I mean, he could also even just re-sign with Boston, yeah, uh, for, yeah. for less money, which would probably help them out big time. I mean, imagine if he, you know, signs a deal that that's more along the lines of about 25 million per year, instead of the 34.2 that gives Boston a lot of wiggle room. Um, so that would be scary for them. Uh, so which, which way do you think Gordon leans here? Well, I, I think when it comes to New York, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me because they've got RJ Barrett. They just got Obi Toppin. They've got a young roster. I don't think going out and get a 30 year old uh, to, to play for one season or a couple seasons makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, I understand they're trying to right the ship. That's been just a disaster in, in New York. I mean, you know all about that. So since your boy Rob, uh, Robinson Cano got suspended for next year. Oh my Mets, God. Don't even get so, me started on that. So I know, I know New York is really trying to right the ship, but I will say this. I I like Gordon Hayward in Indiana. I like Gordon Hayward in Boston. Atlanta kind of makes some sense because they've got a lot of pressure on them to get into the playoffs. And I think that Washington and Orlando and Charlotte are all teams that could compete for that final eight spot, but we don't really know. Um, I think Atlanta is probably the favorite to me to get that just based, based on who they have now and getting the Kong Wu last night in the draft. But I think he could be a really nice backup center for him. So there's, there's a lot of different moving parts here, Fotch. I mean, if he wants to win a championship, the best opportunity for him to go uh, is to go back to Boston, in my opinion. Who knows what's going to happen with Brooklyn, with Philadelphia, all these teams that are on the up and coming. Milwaukee, they're in a weird situation. Uh, Bogdanovich deal doesn't go through. They still get Drew Holiday, but their roster is still kind of you know incomplete, I would say. But it's against Guyana, so it's still a team that's competing for a championship, but it's still not fully complete. Like there's still some holes in it, but yeah, I mean, Gordon Hayward, man, it's just, he makes a lot of sense with Indiana and Jay Michael did just tweet this not too long ago. He said buried in his report about Oladipo and Turner last week, Nate Bjorkman wants to play faster and kind of hard to play faster with two centers. So that would make sense for Gordon Hayward. I understand the pros and cons to not wanting to give up Turner for Gordon Hayward, but it does make a lot of sense for what, Boston needs and what the Pacers ultimately need. Yeah, and you never know what to trust. I've seen multiple sources saying, you know, there could be a, a Turner, Turner and McDermott type swap over there, but you know, you really don't know what to believe. 
Um, if he really, if Hayward really values winning, it, it can't be, you know, New York or Atlanta. I do think Atlanta has the pieces to facilitate a trade. I do think that they could be a playoff team right away, just like you said, if they get Hayward. But you got to feel like the Pacers, you know, have to be in it. I know you had a tweet out there saying that I believe it was Hayward purchased a new home in Indiana. Um, you know, you don't want to always look to that one. That's where he's from. But, you know, there, there's little things where, hey, I'm sure if, if everything added up and the money was right, why wouldn't he choose the Pacers, you know, in, in a sign trade? It depends. There's just you got to have both parties being able to come to an agreement there. I think that he's managed to turn himself into kind of the talk of the town right now in terms of free agency because it feels like a guy like Anthony Davis is going back to the Lakers. You know, it feels like that's probably just going to happen, you know, maybe right away. But Hayward, you just can't put your finger on it right now. No, you really can't. And I, and I will say this Tom Lewis. Uh, he is the uh, side expert over at the Indy Cornrows pod, uh, Indy Cornrows for SB Nation. And then he's the co-host with Mark Schindler for the Indy Cornrows podcast. They were talking on Monday, uh, a little bit with Dave Sorrell, Miller Time Pod, just about everything going on. And he said that Gordon Hayward, you know, bought that house, but also that his kids are enrolled in school here in the, in the Fishers area and said that there have been multiple people that said they've seen Gordon Hayward picking up his kids and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, it's just interesting. I mean, I'm sure with the whole pandemic, he wanted to be home and didn't want to be in Boston, which I don't blame him, not knowing when the season was going to start. So it kind of makes sense. And by the time the season does start, it'll probably be the second semester. So he could easily just enroll his kids back in whatever school he goes to, but um, whatever, wherever city he goes to. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting. And if he likes being here, he's on the, you know, the latter half of his career now, he's 30 years old. I mean, he's probably got five, six years of, you know, good competitive basketball left in him. Um, you know, at, at this point, I think that Indiana would make a lot of sense. A team that's always competing in the playoffs. Something the Pacers really need is a guy that can create a guy that can shoot a guy that can rebound. He's a good rebounder for his position, especially uh, playing the small ball for us. So yeah, I mean, I like Gordon Hayward a lot here. I think the fit makes sense. You do lose some of that rim protection with miles Turner. If you do trade him. And of course you are going to lose the, uh, the age difference there with six years between the two of them. So I get why there are fans that are like, I don't want this trade. I mean, I completely understand it, but at the same time, I think the Pacers get a lot better if they get another player like Gordon Hayward on this roster. I think they do because if you look at what's kind of, um, you know, what do we have the most of it? It's, it's obviously bigs between Sabonis and Turner. It's like, that's our luxury that not a lot of other teams are really duplicating. That's not common in the NBA. And I feel like a guy like Gordon Hayward, which, you know, we've talked about before, as a fourth option, average about 17 and a half points on 50% shooting from the field. I mean, that's really crazy. I mean, the Pacers were very lucky to have about, you know, close to I think it was six or seven guys average double figures last year, but 17 and a half points is, is right up there for, you know, would have been about a, a point less than, you know, the lead on the team. I think TJ Warren was right around 19, but it's like Hayward's got some good basketball left to give. And I don't think he wants to, you know, be in a dysfunctional situation like the Knicks, especially, I don't think it's as important for him to be the guy anymore. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. think that that's the, a main factor right now. If, if the money is somewhat similar, you know, between the Knicks and the Pacers over there, then it would feel like a no brainer. Atlanta, like, yeah, he's just an, op- an opportunity to be like a, a true veteran leader there and get a team kind of say over a hump is like getting a team out from the bottom to being you know a bottom playoff team 
But if you go over to the Pacers, he could do something special. I mean, to play for your hometown team, to be, you know, to be home just with your family, to be happy, to be for a good franchise that it's a consistent winner, you you just can't find that. I mean, that's something so rare. And I know that as Pacer fans, we're always trying to hold hold on to, hey, who's got ties to Indiana? Can we, can we bring him back? That always happens. But this is actually a good player. This isn't like a fringe, you know, 10 points per game guy. If the money works and we never – I don't think anybody felt comfortable at $34.2 million per year, especially going into free agency. If you can rework a deal, then this has to be something that, you know, that you got to be excited about. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. Well, Fodge, let's take a real quick break. We've got Mark Monteith on the line coming up in the next segment. He's going to talk all things NBA draft with the Pacers, getting Cassius Stanley. He's also going to talk about the Victor Ladipo situation and what he expects for this upcoming offseason. So we'll be right back. All right, everybody, what's going on? Joining us now on Setting the Pace, longtime Indiana Pacers writer. It's the one and only Mark Monteith. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, good to be with you guys. Absolutely. So I just got to start things off last night, the 54th overall pick. The Indiana Pacers selected Cassius Stanley. What were your thoughts on that draft pick? Well, you know, I can't tell you that I knew a lot about him going into the draft, but after kind of researching it now and getting more acquainted with him, I like it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he's a really athletic guy. That's always a good place to start. Uh, he's young, having played one year in college, so he's got the upside thing going for him. Uh, he has a polished personality, uh, seems to have a great work ethic, you know, spent the summer with Russell Westbrook, and regardless of what you think of Westbrook's game, you cannot question his work ethic, so that had to be a positive experience for Cassius Stanley. Um, and, you know, he, he's got skills. He shoots well enough and handles the ball well enough. Yeah, I guess he played some point guard in high school. Mm-hmm. Six six, six seven. He's got length for the position. He could even grow another inch, I suppose. So all things considered, I really like it. There's no red flags there. Uh, he obviously will get better as a shooter and ball handler and so forth, as long as he keeps working. So I think it's got real potential. I see him as a guy, if he had gone back to college for one more season, uh, likely would have been a first-round draft pick next season, and who knows how high he would have been in the first round. Yeah, Cassius Stanley is one of those players that I feel like at age 21, for some reason, he's a little bit older than you know your typical yeah. freshman, but I do think that he would have benefited big time from going back to college because this guy, he had the name fair. You know, you're talking about a highly recruited you know player, obviously going to Duke that we know, so – I felt like while he was, you know, all ACC freshman, uh, I felt like there was more that that could have been had there. So I do think that's a steal for the Pacers at 54. One of the few names that I knew that late in the draft. Uh, What's your outlook for Stanley this season? Do you see him getting any minutes on the Pacers or is this mostly just kind of like a G League and just kind of a depth move? Yeah, I would think he'll spend some time in the G League, no doubt about it. I think if the Pacers did have a, need or whatever you know two guard was a place where they could very well need help so he might have opportunity you know he's in such a maturation phase of his career of his life that he could be quite a bit better this season than he was last season to do and so it's really kind of hard to project him he is so far 
from a finished product. You know, it's not like he's a four-year collegiate. So um, the improvement could be coming rapidly. He seems to be mature enough that he'll adapt to everything well. Uh, so I think there could be opportunity for him there. He'll need to be able to shoot it. Uh, you know, I, I certainly would not predict major minutes for him, but I think there could be minutes for him. I think it'll be interesting to see what he can do. You know, it's a cliche on draft night for teams to say, oh, we were surprised he was there. You know, we didn't expect <laughs> to be able to take him. But I think in his case, the Pacers can say that because if you go back and look at the mock drafts, uh, they all had him going like 40 to 44, it seemed like, the ones yeah. I saw anyway. So he did indeed appear to drop. And I think the Pacers were indeed a little surprised that he was there. So I think he is probably better than your typical late first-round draft pick. And, uh, again, he's got athleticism, which is a great place to start. It comes down to how uh, quickly he can adapt, what his maturity level is, and what his shooting talent will be. Uh, I see him as a future participant in the slam dunk contest. You know, the base <laughs> a few guys win the slam dunk contest. I could see Cassius Stanley someday competing and perhaps doing well in that too. Yeah, no, I think getting an athletic wing like this was something the Pacers desperately needed on this roster. Um, I would say Vic was super athletic before the injury, but now that's kind of held him back and they just don't have a lot of super athletic guys. So that was one thing that was intriguing about him, but um, it was reported today by Michael Scotto, the Indiana Pacers won't extend qualifying offers to Alizé Johnson, Brian Bowen and Nazmitri Long. So um, I'm assuming that this is going to obviously give a roster spot for Cassius Stanley, but the Pacers also um, agreed to an exhibit 10 deal with big man, Rayshon Hammonds, who's a lefty with range. So um, that was from Scott Agnes. So what are your thoughts on the Pacers not extending those qualifying offers to the, uh, the three players that were on the roster last year? And, and do you think that these two guys that they got in the draft night will be guys that could replace them on the roster? Yeah. Uh, I'm not really surprised. Um, you know, Alizé certainly showed potential, but he's a kind of a classic tweener. Uh, it wouldn't have bothered me personally if they had re-signed him, kept him. Um, Brian Bowen is just not ready in my mind. So young, and it just looks like his game needs a lot of development, and I don't know that the Pacers have time for that. It's probably better for him to go somewhere else where there might be more opportunity, uh, maybe even overseas and just play. He needs a lot of minutes. Uh, I liked Nas Mitchell Long. Uh, I feel kind of bad for him. I hope he catches on somewhere. I think he's the kind of guy who can contribute to any team. You know, I remember that game in Brooklyn last season when he played so well and the Pacers were really defeated at that position. I think he's a guy who kind of belongs on somebody's roster, uh, at the, maybe not in the rotation, but on the roster. So hopefully he catches on. I think sometimes teams don't extend these qualifying offers. Um, almost as a favor or at the player's request, you know, they want to find a place where they can get a better opportunity to get playing time or perhaps go overseas. So, you know, it's not necessarily a slap in the face by the Pacers. So we'll see. And as far as uh, Rashawn Hammonds, I honestly don't know anything about him. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, but the challenge for all these guys, all these guys like Alice and, and Nasmith Long and Bowen, you know, they're borderline guys. You could say that if they're in the right place at the right time, they could catch on. You know, they're intriguing. They look like they have a chance to make it someday. 
but there's always guys like that coming up every year. You know, there's always a bunch of borderline guys and teams are always going to turn toward the younger guys uh, because they have more upside or just because they're the new thing. So it's really tough for those guys. We see a lot of guys come through the Pacer roster and every NBA team roster who are intriguing and, and you really like them and you root for them and you think they have a chance and they don't stick because there's a whole group of them coming up the following year. And it's always going to be like that. You know, there's always so many guys walking that fine line between making an NBA team and not. And uh, it's sometimes kind of sad to see, but it's just a reality. And that's kind of the reality that hit those three guys uh, today. I think you were spot on. I think a lot of people had a soft spot for Alizé Johnson, wanted to see it work. But just as you mentioned, he's the definition of a tweener. It's like we've seen him flash on, on the rebounding side of things so many times, but a bit undersized. And I hope that he catches on. But when you mentioned Nas Mitru Long, that's someone who I feel like he, he will catch on. Kind of reminds me of a similar situation, different positions. But, you know, George Niang, who was on the Pacers a few years ago, uh, mm-hmm. just didn't have the playing time for the Pacers. And, kind of seen him carve out a role at Utah and that that's been great to see so I hope that's a similar situation for um, at least you know a few of the three of those guys that they didn't pick up the options for but did you expect the Pacers to be a little bit more active last night or did you kind of feel like this is kind of par of the course of you know let's bring this team back there's really not that much money to spend so let's kind of try and get a little bit of youth in there kind of swap out some of the guys that didn't really fit into the future plans. Was that kind of right on course of what you expected? Or did you think, hey, maybe this team could make a move last night? Well, I think they had limited flexibility as mm-hmm. moves because of the lack of a first-round pick and because of the salary situation. Not money to spend in free agency, really. Nothing significant. Uh, and, you know, I, I like their starting five as it is now. I think with a better offensive system, it can be a, a really good team. You know, this group that is supposed to be the Pacers starting five, if it can stay healthy, uh, I think it really could make some noise. But it only started, what, I think uh, five games last season. Uh, and they won four. They lost the first one when they started together at Brooklyn. And then they won, or I guess it was a home game maybe, but they lost to Brooklyn. Then they won the next four. We're looking better and better. Uh, I think it's a good unit. It just needs time, you know, but because of all the injuries, you know, it just hasn't had a chance. I got, I got to wonder if Kevin Pritchard isn't a little frustrated because, you know, he came to the Pacers with a reputation as a deal maker. He was always making moves in Portland. Now he was charged with the challenge of kind of transitioning the team from the jail blazers to a uh, more likable team. But I know Kevin, I mean, he made a trade deadline deal every year when he was in Portland, not a major one, but he made one made a lot of other deals too. And he really hasn't had opportunities to make them here. He had to make the one involving Paul George and that turned out well, but you know, he just hasn't had a lot of opportunities to make deals. I think the coaching chains kind of also maybe gives pause to making deals. You have to wonder if they're thinking, you know, let's see what we got with this new coach and the new system. You know, let's see what we have. Plus, you know, there was a lot of talk about Oladipo. I've never thought he was going to be traded simply because he's coming off those injuries and because he's got one year left on his contract. So that's a hard deal to make. Um, so I just think there are opportunities haven't been there, and I think there's enough of a nucleus there, enough potential with the current team 
that you want to take a look at it. You want to see really what you have uh, with a healthy roster, if you can be lucky enough to have one for an extended period of time, and then go from there, make better decisions um, there. So many teams make deals too early. They get too jumpy. You know, don't you wonder if Phoenix would like to have T.J. Warren back? I mean, they got rid of Kelly Oubre, and now Oubre is going to go to Golden State, it appears. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that you, uh, Gordon Hayward wishes he had stayed in Utah maybe? You know, I mean, he got a great payday for Boston and everything uh, while he was there. But now he's on the move. So there's a lot to be said for being patient in this deal involving trades and so forth and turning over your roster. I think GMs feel pressure to do things, so it looks like they're doing their job. But I think the best GMs show patience and let things play out so that they have a better handle on exactly what they have. Well, you, you bring up Gordon Hayward there, and he is the name that everybody's keeping an eye on right now. He just opted out of his 34-point, I believe it's $2 million uh, option for this upcoming season. And there's rumors going around that he could go back to Boston, he could go to New York, or he could do you know a, a trade with Indiana. That is what Mark Stein reported just about 30, 40 minutes ago since we came on. So yeah. I'm, a, I'm curious, Mark, you know, you talked about Oladipo as well, as you never thought he was going to be traded. But one of the things that's been kind of frustrating is we have really yet to hear from Oladipo on any of this stuff. It's really been reported through, you know, a third party, whether it's uh, Tom Crean or his sister or Sham mm-hmm. Sharani. I thought it was interesting last night during the draft. I mean, you see players from every team welcoming their new draftee, but Sham Sharani went out of his way to tweet Oladipo's uh, <laughs> tweet to Kasha Stanley. And he said, Oladipo welcomes in a uh, new uh, rookie. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. What are your thoughts on this whole Oladipo situation right now? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and he has not handled it the best way possible by any means, but I do think people have overreacted. I think he was frustrated when the season ended. Uh, he and Brogdon both were frustrated by Nate McMillan's offensive system. You know, I think it was pretty glaring in that series with Miami. Miami was getting layups backdoor stuff, wide open shots where the Pacers were kind of, it was Oladipo or Brogdon trying to create something 30 feet from the basket and beat somebody off the dribble and make a play. You know, I thought Nate McMillan was a good coach in a lot of ways, a great human being. Uh, But I never understood why he didn't bring in an offensive coordinator to run a more sophisticated half court offense. I think that's the only thing he was lacking. I almost wanted to take him aside sometime and, and, you know, ask him or recommend him. I do remember asking him at his introductory press conference if he was going to have an offensive coordinator, and he said, no, he was going to do it. And I immediately thought, oh, boy, I hope that works out. You know, I just didn't have a good feeling for that. I think coaches need to fill in their gaps with their assistant coaches. You know, Larry Bird knew he didn't know X's and O's. He brought in Rick Carlisle and Dick Harder. I think if Nate had brought in – a really good assistant coach for the X's and O's. Uh, he could, he'd still be the coach. He could have coached here a long time. Uh, so Oladipo and Brogdon were really frustrated, I think, by the offense. Maybe, you know, I don't know what Oladipo might have said during the heat of battle to players and other teams about wanting to play for him. Uh, but I think when the coaching change was made, I think a lot of Oladipo's frustration went away. And remember, uh, Nate Bjorkren said, at his press conference that Oladipo was one of the first to call him. And they had an upbeat, positive conversation. 
So it's not in my mind that Oladipo doesn't want to be a Pacer or doesn't want to be in Indianapolis. I think he was just frustrated by the system here and probably felt it was never going to win. Uh, but now that changes. So I think he's probably, my impression is he's fine with being a Pacer now. And uh, like you said, he did send out a greeting to the new guy last night, but he needs to communicate better. You know, th- releasing things through a national ESPN guy or, uh, you know, Fat Joe or whoever is not the best way to do it. He needs to ideally have a Zoom call with local media to clear things up, take some questions, make his feelings clear, or at the very least, release uh, a clear detailed statement through the Pacers. And I think that would make a lot of things go away. I don't know why he's handled things the way he has. He's been vague. He's been silent too many times. Uh, He's just kind of a strange guy to figure out that way. I think he's a good guy. I think he's got a great work ethic. If he can be healthy again, he could be at the all-star level. He was a couple of years ago. He needs to curb his ego, both on the court and off, uh, not be so hung up on scoring. Um, you know, this team could be really good if Oladipo is blending in rather than trying to be the star. If he does that, you've got a really great five-man unit with great balance and should be good at both ends of the court. But it's up to him to do that. You know, I have a stat that I go back to often. You, you look at the Pacer record. When Oladipo takes 15 shots or fewer, it's outstanding. Like, I think a couple of years ago, it was like 21-3 and three or 20-3, and three, something like that. And their record when he takes more than 20 shots is horrible. You know, it's very clear that they're a much better team when he's limiting his field goal production and blending in with the team because they've always had good players around him. Uh, but he struggled with that. You know, it sometimes seems like he would rather score 30 points and lose than score 15, 20 points and win. You know, I can't say for certain how he feels, but it seems that way to me on occasion. So, man, he just needs to mature, blend in, uh, communicate better, uh, and he could wind up being on a really good team. You know, when you talked about Oladipo's communication, I mean, it has just rubbed just about the whole fan base wrong. And I do think that in the last week he's trying to, you know, maybe be a little bit more positive or kind of um, profess his, his, his love for Indiana and that he wants to be here and this, this, and that. And look, it's the bare minimum of what we need to see. But, you know, when you talked about if Oladipo is willing to take a little bit of a, a, a backseat this year, I do think the team can be far more successful, but it's going to clash with him trying to get the most money possible in free agency. So it, it's going to be very tricky. That's free agency next year. Um, it's going to be very tricky, but I am excited to see just kind of a little bit of a change on the offensive side of things that you mentioned with Bjorken coming in. I do feel like it, it's a, a breath of fresh air. So Let's finally see what this team is all the way about. But one of those guys that may or may not be returning is Justin Holiday. What is your thoughts on Justin Holiday as he enters free agency, coming off of a really good year in what could be his last chance to truly earn a substantial contract? Do you think yeah, that we're bringing yeah. Justin back or has that ship maybe sailed? No, I'd be fine bringing him back. You know, he came here known as a defender and wound up being a really good three-point shooter. I think he's a really mature guy. I think he's good in the locker room. I would be fine with him coming back. Of course, it's always a question of what price. But I think there's interest in bringing him back. I happen to have a friend who ran into Justin in town 
a few days ago, and he says Justin told him he thinks he'll be back, but who knows? You know, you never know what opportunities are going to be out there. Uh, so I'd be fine, though, with him coming back. He brings experience, maturity, uh, ego-free player, mature guy. Um, he'll give you good defense, and if he happens to be hitting three-pointers, that's all the better. So I would be perfectly fine bringing him back. It sounds strange to say that you know, here the Pacers got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs again. And it's almost like, hey, bring them all back. You know, usually that's not the case. But I think in their situation, because of the injuries they had, um, I don't think they need to make a lot of changes. I think if you can bring that starting five back and get them healthy, and then you keep, you know, Justin Holiday, Aaron Holiday, uh, you know, give Goga Batadze another chance to be healthy and play, you know, it's a team that can grow. And uh, I just don't think there needs to be a lot of changes. I think Kevin Pritchard's likely going to feel like he needs to do something. And, you know, it will all depend on what opportunities happen to be out there for him. You can't force a great trade opportunity. They just have to be there for you. Uh, So I just don't think this team needs huge turnover or a lot of changes. It's kind of a nip and tuck thing at this point. Uh, And then if it doesn't go well this next year, then you would be looking at the possibility of some pretty major changes. But for right now, um, I'm pretty good with bringing the core back, adding Cassius Stanley and maybe another player or two, but we'll see. But you know what? If Gordon Hayward somehow becomes available in the trade, uh, that could change a lot of things. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's it's interesting. I know a lot of people are on the fence on what side they'd rather be on. If it's uh, – keep miles turner because he's like six years younger than gordon hayward and on a better and cheaper contract or you go out and get a more established player to to add to your team and probably makes a little bit more sense for the modern day basketball to play that four ball uh or that four position next to sabonis and warren but right now it's just it's really hard to gauge where this team is going to go and you know I've, i've been thinking about it i think with the lack of movement that we've had for so long because of the pandemic and no off season really in the summer, you know, it's taken all the way till November. We've been off for what, nine months since the trade deadline. So, I mean, a lot of teams are and people and fans are just, you know, wanting movement. But if you look at last year's team, the Pacers, what did they add in like eight or nine new guys to the roster? So they had a lot of movement last off season. It just feels like forever ago. And we know this team got swept in the playoffs because, Yes, they were without Sabonis. They didn't have Jeremy Lamb. They, they, you know, they weren't fully healthy, and Oladipo was still trying to come back. So getting knocked out in the first round last year, to me, was not that disappointing. It was more so because they got swept. But I, I still like, even with this team right now, Mark, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are because I just don't think this team right now, if they don't make any moves, is really that good, uh, good enough to compete for, uh, you know, a first round uh, playoff advancement. I can't see them getting past the first round because I feel like they're going to be in that six, seven range. And there's just teams that are better than them in the Eastern conference with their roster as currently constructed. Yeah, it, that could be, uh, you know, certainly Boston is always going to be up there in Miami uh, as the team that went to the finals this year is going to be there. Uh, Toronto, uh, you know, I was surprised how well they did last season, but obviously you take them seriously. Milwaukee, of course, uh, has appears to have improved, and I think they would have to be regarded as the, uh, the the leading contender out of the East. But you know, if the opportunities aren't there for the Pacers, you don't want to force something. Uh, you don't want to make a, a move that maybe uh, costs you down the road. 
by taking on a long-term contract that's overpriced or whatever, something like that. Uh, but I just think this Pacer team still has upside. Look at the age. You know, it's a young team. It's really still it's a young group that should do nothing but improve as it stays together. Again, it's all dependent on health. Uh, you have a new coaching staff, new system. You know, I want to see how it goes with them with a more modern-day uh, uh, complex or sophisticated offense, cutting-edge offense, so to speak. Uh, I just think this team potentially could be significantly better than last season's team based on, number one, health, number two, a new coaching staff and system, uh, and, you know, one or two of those other teams that were ahead of them could drop down. So, um you just have to be careful not to get too antsy or get too panicky about it. It's hard sometimes to stand pat, uh, you know, but there have been times in the past when it looked like the paces were stuck in neutral. You know, you can go to the early nineties or the early two thousands and they're, you know, right around the 500 team for a few years and people are getting frustrated. Uh, but then it clicks, you know, you make one or two more moves and then it clicks and then they wind up in the Eastern conference finals. So I'm a pretty big advocate of patience if you think you have uh, the right core with a team that is young enough and still coming together. You know, T.J. Warren should be a better player next year than this past year. Uh, Oladipo certainly should if he's healthy. You know, Brogdon certainly could be. He's still a young player. You know, Miles Turner isn't over the hill, and he seemed to find a more comfortable niche last season playing with Sabonis so he could be improved and I thought he was good in the finals like 16 and 10 in that finals against Miami without Sabonis there uh, so each one of these starters could be a better player next season than last season legitimately and then you add the chemistry factor of them playing together uh, for really the first time for any significant amount of time that's a plus two and you add a new system hopefully a better offensive system those things all combined can make for a significantly better team. You know, if you take Justin Holiday off this team and potentially Jakar Sampson, this team is so young. I mean, it's almost too young. But I do think that with come with with that comes just being able to you know gel together as we talked about. So I do think there's many players on this team that can get better, where you can keep the same roster and still improve. But things like rebounding, three point shooting the lack of free throw attempts last year were all killers for this Pacers team. What do you think is the one thing that they really need to address out of that in the off season to make the biggest difference for next year? Yeah. Well, all three, all three are good places. Mm-hmm. But I think three point shooting, certainly, um, you know, you, you don't want to exchange two for three very long. You know, that's not a winning formula. And that to me was a function of Nate McMillan's offense, not so much, transition and getting up and down the floor he was always willing to run play at a tempo if they could get the rebound and get the ball out and they have players who can do that uh but it was more to me a function of the half court offense of not you know getting ball movement uh not having screens off the ball not getting penetration and kickouts that kind of thing a better offensive system can address that three-point issue and it will address free throws too you got to be attacking the basket getting into the lane either attacking the basket or kicking out to an open three-point shooter. And they have, I think, guys quick enough to do that. So that would address free throws and three-point shooting. Uh, rebounding, you know, 
that's the argument certainly for keeping Miles Turner. Not that he's a great rebounder. In fact, Orton Hayward averaged, I think, a tenth of a rebound more last season than Miles Turner did. But still, I think Turner's size is important. Uh, you could say it doesn't suit the modern day style, but he's a good enough three point shooter. And again, in a better offensive system where he's getting good looks, he'll be a capable three point shooter. He'll block some shots and he'll get enough rebounds, I think. So, and we should add, you know, they, Oladipo is an outstanding rebounder for his position. You know, he gets a lot of long rebounds because of his quickness. And Brogdon rebounds his position well, too. Uh, TJ Warren does not. Uh, really, but uh, the other guys are okay in that regard. So uh, I think, you know, with, the, again, the right kind of system, you'll, you'll get more offensive rebounds if you have players closer to the basket and have movement. If you're taking more three-point shots, you'll have an opportunity for more long rebounds. And in that case, you know, height does not come into play very much. So those three things, you know, rebounding free throws and three-point shooting are all crucial toward their improvement. And I think all of those things can come out of a better offensive system and continued improvement from uh, just the players they have on hand. And maybe that's something they can address in free agency or via trade, bring in another three-point shooter. You know, a guy like Joe Harris, uh, he'll probably – They can't afford him. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say he's – you know, he he can't afford that unless you do a sign-and-trade of some kind. But maybe they can address that. Uh, But if not, I think – that issue can be addressed just via the system. Yeah, no, I think that that's a, that's a great point. The system is going to be a lot different than what we've seen. And I think Bjorkren is going to be interesting. So Mark, uh, I don't really have too much else to talk about. So do you have any articles coming out on uh, your website or pacers.com? Well, uh, yeah, I, I no longer work for pacers.com. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's okay. It was quietly handled (laughs) (laughs) and, um, uh, my website, I put a lot of time into my website. I would encourage people to go to markmonteith.com. I have added a ton of content there. Uh, a lot of stories that I've done, most of them Pacers related, but not all. And a lot of video stuff, little audio and video stuff. You can find things like uh, a 25-minute highlight video from the Pacers ABA championship in 1972 and 73. You can listen to their game seven championship game victory in 73, the radio broadcast of it. I've got some, a couple uh, complete Purdue games with Rick Mount on there. If people want to get a handle on, you know, what Rick Mount was like and how college basketball was played in the late sixties, a lot of audio and video stuff on the website now. So that's kind of how I've spent my time these last couple of months is really uh, bumping up that website. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. We'll have to make sure we get over there and check that out and we will make sure we plug that for you as well on twitter on our on our page so people will know where to find that so mark always love talking to you always love hearing your insight on things and uh, we thank you so much for coming on all right thank you guys appreciate it thanks all right everybody joining us now he covers duke basketball it's the one and only brian horace brian thanks for joining us man thanks for having me i really appreciate it Absolutely. So last night, the Pacers had one draft pick. It was the 54th overall pick, and a lot of Pacer fans were afraid they were going to stay up all night just for the Pacers to sell it. But instead, they go out and get Cassius Stanley, shooting guard from Duke, someone that you're very familiar with. So when you saw Cassius go to Indiana, what were your initial thoughts? Steal, honestly. I mean, I, I my, my first thought was like, I'm surprised he slipped this low, and the Pacers got a good one. 
I'm very excited for the Stanley pick. Alex knows that Stanley was someone that I wanted. I hoped he would be there at 54, but I was not convinced that he would be. So, you know, because I'm very into college recruiting, so I really, really remembered the name. And I kept an eye on him from from a far distance. But tell us a little bit more about Cassius Stanley outside of the vertical, because the casual fan, that's all they're really knowing right now. Oh, my God, this guy can dunk. (laughs) <laughs> well, yes, that is true. He um, obviously the vertical is the first thing everyone talks about uh, what he tests 44, but I mean, several other tests had him at 46, 47, but that's, that's, that's one thing. Um, the thing to know about Cassius is that he came into Duke without being a reputation of being a good shooter, but he was still, he still managed to put up 36% from three coming right in from, from high school, which is a, uh, it's, it's a pretty big feat for someone who who wasn't known as a shooter um, you know, on the, at the high school level. I mean, he um, he came in wanting to learn, averaged 12.6 and almost five boards a game, third leading score on a team where he was the fifth rated prospect on the team. Um, he was the second leading rebounder, rebounds really well from the guard spot. Um, five 20 point games, eight games with seven or more rebounds. I mean, the dude is uh, it's a do-it-all guy, but he does not have the um, the ego of a do-it-all guy. He He comes to work. And uh, he's he's always put in good work. Well, the one thing the Pacers really needed was some athleticism, and we know that that is what Cassius brings to the table. Well, I don't know exactly where he's going to fit in right now in this rotation. Is this somebody that you would you know expect to go to the the G League for for a little while? And do you think that he'd be someone that would be okay with that? You know, try to work his way up and really earn that opportunity to get a spot in the regular rotation for the upcoming seasons. I think he would be perfectly fine with that. I mean, he's a kid that wants to work. He wants to get better. He's more about getting to that, that next step than he is about, you know, satisfying the ego of just necessarily being a starter. You know, he's a, he's got good, you know, he's a high quality kid. He, he earns everything that he gets. And a lot of people don't realize that just because he came from, you know, Sierra Canyon and, and, you know, he has a high profile father, this kid works and he works his tail off and he, you know, he has no problem doing it. You know, I felt like Stanley in another, you know, obviously you can't put a price on the education of being coached by Coach K, but I feel like Stanley would have maybe excelled a bit more on another team where he wasn't, like you mentioned, the fifth rated prospect or the third option, however you want to put it. Uh, do you think that maybe playing for a different team where he's more featured would have had him slated maybe 20 more spots higher? Because 54. I mean, that is as low as anyone could have predicted for Cassius Stanley. Right. And I, I, I hear that a lot, actually. And I think I'll, I'll use Cassius' his own words. I mean, he wanted to go someplace where he wasn't necessarily needed, but a place that would push him. I mean, he could have gone to a lesser school and been the featured guy, but would he have developed that three-point shot? Would he have developed, you know, that mentality? Because Duke is Duke. And when you go there to work, you're working in a professional environment. And I think he benefited from that. He was always going to be a one-year guy. And I, I think he's sort of um, benefited, or not, I guess not benefited, but he, to his detriment, he's an older freshman, you know, at, at 21. And I think that was sort of, you know, one of the things. But he never wanted to go a place where he was just going to be given everything. You know, going to Sierra Canyon, he wasn't the featured guy, but he showed out. At Duke, he wasn't the featured guy, but he showed out. And I think that speaks to a level of professionalism that's going to do him well. Uh, in the league, being able to work, you know, alongside guys that may be higher ranked, 
and still be able to do what he does. Okay, well, we, we, we've seen the good things about him, but I'm curious, what are some of his weaknesses? Because I feel like that's something that Pacer fans would probably need to keep their eyes on as well. Yeah, I, I think his, um, his consistency from the three-point line is still an emerging thing for him. I mean, he, again, 36% in college is nothing to laugh at, but I think, um, you know, a year under, uh, you know, actual league training is going to help him out in that level. Um, I also think that um, one of the things that I noted from uh, one of his conversations with um, Gilbert Arenas, who's a, who he's a big fan of, there, there's a mutual friendship there, that when watching him play against NBA guys, you know, after he left Duke and before he got to Duke, was that he was able to get a shot off against high-level, you know, guys, but that he needed counters. When, when they were able to stop him, he didn't really have the counters to go. So, and I think that's one thing that he needs to work on offensively. He's already a good defender, but I think getting that count, those counter moves on the offensive end and possibly being a better, uh, being a bit of a better ball handler will also benefit him in the next level. Being 6'6", it's kind of a tweener spot where you're, you know, a guard, but also a small forward. I think a little bit of a better handle will do him well. Yeah, because that was one of the the things that you, you see pop up the most, how much he played off the ball. But, you know, when you talked about being able to develop that three-point shot, not just relying on athleticism, mm-hmm. do you think that there's a next layer to his game where, you know, we've seen he's proved to be a very good catch-and-shoot guy from three um, that I was reading on. I'd love to see a bit more of that. What's another thing that you really feel like he's lacking in his game that he can control and get better at? I think just being able to play on the ball, being able to be that, that, that point guard as well. I mean, I know he's not a point guard by, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, but I think adding that to his game will make him that much more valuable to, you know, a pay, to, to the Pacers and whoever else may end up, you know, in, in the future, just being able to, you know, be a more of a distributor, being able to play, you know, multiple positions. I think versatility is one of the things um, that a lot of Duke players have. And I think he has that ability. I think he just needs to be able to do it more. He didn't get that chance much with Duke having a, you know, really solid point guard core last year. Well, we, we know that you said he could, he's going to have to play both two and three. I, I understand sometimes there's guards that are wings that struggle with guarding, you know, bigger players and stuff like that. I mean, do you feel like there's a player type that he struggles with, whether it's quick twitchy guards or whether it's, you know, bigger guards that can maybe bully him a little bit down low? Is there, any concerns there? I don't think so. I mean, he was he was asked to to guard a lot of guys when he was at Duke where that were taller than him and stronger than him. Dude is a gym rat. Um, he's literally the best athlete in the draft. And I'm not just saying because he can jump. I'm saying that because he's strong. He's been working in a pro environment for, for a long, long time. So, you know, he was a much better defender than I think people gave him credit for because he, you know, had the flashy highlights. But uh, – I don't think he'll have any problem defending bigger guys or smaller guards. I, I think he's a, uh, he has a good base defense right now. You know, you talked about before that it was another thing that I pointed out, you know, earlier in our show that our listeners will hear, but you know, Cassius Stanley is 21 years old and a freshman. Mm-hmm. That is very uncommon. I know it worked against him that uh, he has an August birthday. Typically the draft is in late June, but why so old? I know he went to a couple of different high schools. Did he maybe get kind of pushed back a year over there? It was just a little interesting to see a 21-year-old freshman when I graduated college at <laughs> age 21, and I promise you, I didn't graduate early. It was on time. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not 100% sure on why. Um, 
I, I know there was that transfer from his uh, original high school to, um, you know, to, to Sierra Canyon. And really that's when I started watching him play. And I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what the, uh, what the age thing was, but it wasn't, I mean, it was nothing that, that, hind- that hindered him other than just the fact that he was older. I mean, he's 21 now. I, I think obviously when he got to Duke, he wasn't 21, but um, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things. I think it was a, 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 you know, a late birthday thing. And then just, I'm not sure what happened, you know, before he got to Sierra Canyon. All right. So I, I just want to know a little bit more about um, where you think he could be utilized with this Pacers roster. I'm not sure if you're too familiar with it, but we, we know that, you know, they have Domas Sabonis, who is a guy that just loves to facilitate and get guys involved really great in the pick and roll. Um, we, we know that they have a new coach in Nate Bjorkren, a guy that really wants to utilize his young players and, and develop them. So are there anything, is there anything that you notice from this Pacers roster maybe that thinks you feel like Cassius could fit in somewhere? I mean, I, I think you guys also have what Dur- Doug McDermott. Uh huh. I think he's what a like a small forward. Yeah, he plays small forward for us off the bench. Yeah, he's what like six six. I think so. He's yeah, six. Bit, is he six eight? Bigger. I want to say might six, be six eight. eight. Yeah, I think he's listed at six six, but maybe he's a little taller. Yeah, I don't know. I think <laughs> if I think if if, um, if Indiana's trying to go for a different different look depending on who they're playing, I think having a guy like Cash to come in and be that athletic small forward, I think that can be a thing that he that they use him as. I think he could be a solid backup, you know, as a, as a two guard as well. I think he has that versatility in his game where he can, you know, make some mid range shots. He can guard taller players. You know, he's, he's got a good engine, you know, and, and if you're looking to get downhill, I mean, he's, he's a great finisher. And I'm not just talking about dunks. I mean, guy has a layup package that is uncommonly good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would love to see him be able to, you know, not only just contribute, obviously, in the G League, but contribute for the actual Pacers. And one stat that, you know, I, I came across yesterday was 72% of second round picks never log an NBA minute. Do you think that Cassius Stanley at pick 54 will defy the odds and log true NBA minutes? Most definitely. I mean, I, I can... um and I, I reached out to one of the Duke coaches before uh, before this call, uh, Nolan Smith, and asked him about um, what, what he thinks about Cassius. And obviously, you know, he's a Duke coach who's going to be somewhat, you know, biased. But um, the way he put it, the NBA is built for these elite athletes. And him having a mentor, if everything holds up with the roster, and a guy like Victor Oladipo in front of him, I think that Cassius can definitely be a player that that, you know, gives the Pacers minutes. And not just in the G League, but you know, on the main roster as well. Yeah. I really think that probably not this upcoming season, but the season after there could be some real opportunities for him uh, with Oladipo being a free agent, Doug McDermott being a free agent, Edmund Sumner, probably a free agent by next season. So I think there's an opportunity for him to maybe uh, TJ McConnell be a free agent as well. So there's an opportunity for him to get in the rotation, but I'm curious, you know, going to Duke playing for coach K that's got to be something really special. What kind of relationship does he have with coach K and did you get anything or did you find anything where coach K had, you know, some great remarks on, on Cassius Winston? Uh, he or was, Stanley, he was, excuse me. <laughs> everyone makes that mistake. I'm sure. I, mean, uh, I, I, I was, I couldn't believe they were picked back to back. Um, yeah, that was, that was actually interesting. It makes you wonder if someone made a mistake, but anyway, we'll leave that alone. Um, I don't have any direct quotes, but I mean, I've, I've talked to, to many of the coaches and, and, and had calls with him before on, on Stanley and, you know, he's a great teammate, high character kid, a good learner. And that's the good thing. I talked about his ego 
you know, he has a good and appropriate ego. There's not, there's a difference between a guy that has an ego and a guy that's an egomaniac. Cassius knows you have to have belief in what you do and who you are, but he's not the type that, you know, that keeps him from being a quality teammate. I think that's going to be important, you know, especially if, when there's other guys on the roster that play his position and, you know, obviously possibly being a player that's a two-way player. These are important things to have, but I mean, the, the biggest thing is he wants to work and he worked his tail off at Duke in the weight room, um, you know, on the floor in practice, he, he went to school, did his work. I mean, he's a guy that hasn't had things handed to him necessarily. He's worked to get to that level and his talent is really made for the NBA. I mean, I think he'll be a much better NBA player than he was a college player. I just don't think the college game is necessarily tailored for his skill set. I don't think he's like a program guy. I think he's going to do much better in the league than he has, you know, even at Duke. So interesting comments right there because Magic Johnson himself said the same thing about Cassius Stanley. Uh, obviously, this is uh, before Cassius Stanley was drafted uh, to the Pacers because typically you don't hear someone like Magic Johnson talking about the Pacers. No offense to you know the whole fan base, but it's just it just doesn't happen. But for a guy like Magic Johnson to talk about Cassius Stanley and then Russell Westbrook to also apparently be a mentor of his. I mean, where's all this coming from? What's what's the draw over here? I don't know what his relationship is with Westbrook, but clearly he's catching the eyes of the right people. He's got to be doing something, right? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, being a a kid from from California, he's played with all these guys. I mean, there's some some video of him going against uh, KCP, and he held his own, you know. And that's where Gilbert Arenas was like, he noticed that, and he was like, okay, this guy is playing against a high level NBA defender. And he's able to get his shot off and he's able to get a shot off, you know, well. And so he's, he spent a lot of his, his time playing against those guys, working out with those guys, you know, doing runs with those guys. They all know him and they all respect him. And they all, I mean, even Gilbert was like, one and one and done do get your, get your butt to the league. I mean, they, they, they knew, they knew that his talent was made for that level. And that's, they, they all know him. He's, he's not an uncommon people know who he is. He's not like some guy that just came out of nowhere. Yeah, well, I have to ask you this just as my last question here for you, my man. 54th overall goes to the Pacers. Why do you think he dropped so much? Because I know that there were some reports saying that or some mock drafts saying that he should have gone like in the first round and some believe that he should have went to the very early part of the second round. Why did it almost take until the end of the second round for him to get snagged up? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, you know, he had, he had the, um, you know, all eyes on him. He performed at a high level. The stats back it up. I don't, maybe it's the 21 years. I'm not sure. I mean, we all know that potential and, and youth is a always has always been a priority with, with NBA teams. And I, I mean, maybe you're right about, like you said earlier, being on a team with a lot of, you know, higher profile guys might have made him slip. But in my opinion, it's always about fit more than, 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 you know, position. Mm-hmm. Well, my last question is I'm sorry it was there I don't hope I didn't cut you off or anything but my last question is is there a player comparison that comes to mind when it comes to Cassius Stanley because right now I don't know I who it might be the comparison that uh Gilbert Arenas who's worked out with him says uh, and that's Zach Levine oh, I mean if if he's I I think and not to discredit Cassius but I think if he's half the player that Zach Levine was at pick 54, it's an absolute steal. I don't think anyone that knows Cassius's game thinks that he should have been drafted this low, but I also know that if a team is, is um, 
willing to do that for you and, and take you, you're, you know, you perform for him. I mean, um, like, a, like Gilbert said, he and Zach both have what they call a Bugatti engine. They both got it. And they're, you know, they're the, the comps are there. I mean, I think um, in the end, he may end up being a better shooter than Levine in the end, but um, they definitely, there's definitely some player, you know, comparison there that, that makes sense. Well, I have to say that I am excited about him. I'm excited to, to see the work ethic that, you know, he's, that we're hearing so much about, because if you got a player that's this athletic, that's got this much love for the game and got, has this much of a work ethic to, to get better mentored by guys like Patrick Beverly, who, who reached out to him last night, Russell Westbrook, guys that are just dogs in the NBA. This is exactly what this Pacer team needs. And I think the Pacer fans should be really excited about Cassius Stanley. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Well, Brian, where can we follow you at on Twitter? And uh, do you have any other accounts that you uh, want to plug? Uh, just uh, at Duke blogger and the website is dukeblogger.com. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And we uh, maybe we can check back in and get your thoughts on what Cassius uh, is doing in the G League or if he's able to get a crack in the rotation, what he's doing here with the Pacers. Please do. I will make sure I follow him. All right, everybody. So we just had a great conversation with Brian Horace from Duke blog. Uh, make sure you check him out on Twitter at Duke blogger. We had Mark Monteith in the first or the second segment. And then me and Fachi talked a lot in the first segment about what's going on now. So this is a long episode, Fach, but I really had a lot of fun and I feel like I'm a lot more educated on everything going on right now. Oh, definitely an action packed episode. You got two guests. You had to cover, you know, the newest member, the newest members of the Pacers. That is, uh, but also learn a little bit more about Cassius Stanley to, to, to hear these way more than just a dunker. You know, when you have a vertical that high, that's all people are going to harp on. But trust me, there's a lot more to his game that's coming to the Pacers. And I can't wait to see it unfold. So an action-packed episode for an action-packed weekend. Free agency right around the corner. Less than 24 hours to go to it. Alex, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Friday, 6 p.m., we will hit the free agency period. So, Fachi, as we close this out, this might be our last time that we ever going to talk about Alizé Johnson, someone you have a soft spot in your heart for. Would you like to uh, leave a little farewell message to our friend Alizé? The softest of spots for Alizé Johnson. I always, always lived for the last 34 seconds of a game where, you know, you could really get him in there and just, you know, maybe he gets a rebound or two, whatever it was, just always rooting for the kids seemed like an absolute class act i love how espn really highlighted him getting his mom a house uh i don't even want to reflect on anything negative because i really hope that he has an opportunity to you know keep everything going and and keep playing basketball he's he's the definition of a borderline nba guy that you're really pulling for so hey alizé you got a lifelong fan in uh in me Absolutely. I think, honestly, he could have been the Pacers' best rebounder last season. 17 rebounds in that last game. I thought that was fantastic um, in the bubble games. I thought it was great for him. Didn't get a, much of an opportunity here with the Pacers. Unfortunately, they're probably going to move on, which um, you know, which stinks for him. But I do have to say, I'm excited for Nate Bjorkren, and I'm excited for young players like Cassius Stanley to get an opportunity to play and get some actual minutes on the court and to develop, I think Gug Batadze should be, you know, one of the guys that is the most, uh, he is the biggest beneficiary from 
this coaching change. I'm excited, Fletch. I really am. I think the paces are heading in the right direction, even if they don't make any significant changes. A true breath of fresh air. I just feel like we know there's talent on this team. We know they didn't get the opportunity to show it together. So, hey, look, we're not, you know, jeopardizing everything and trading off pieces left and right as of this moment at least so hey why not bring it back give these guys one last opportunity and yeah we'll have a little bit of money to spend along the way so we'll see that's the exciting part about it but like i said a breath of fresh air i'm not expecting to get swept uh this year so hey i could be wrong but let's find out all right everybody we can follow Fachi on twitter at facci you can follow us on Twitter at setting the pace three. I'm at Alex golden NBA and I have got to go help my wife cook dinner. We're having chicken Alfredo tonight. So I am excited to get off here and do some cooking and some eating because I am hungry. And hopefully you guys get some chicken Alfredo. If you're listening to this, because I'm sure it sounds good to you as well. We will talk to y'all next week. Peace out. Pacer nation. Let's go Pacers.